I found an old book at a thrift shop the other day, and I'm, even though I've sworn not to buy any more books, <laughs> I bought it. But it's a, it's a, a book of uh, that's the wisdom of Thich Nhat Hanh, and it's from it was first published in the I think the very early 70s. So it's a it's a really old book of his, and I know a lot of a lot of you are really familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh, and he's so um, well known and such a good teacher, but he's so uh, commercialized now. You know his books. There's millions. And this book is old enough that it says how few books have been published in English of Thich Nhat Hanh. <laughs> so it's really old. <clears throat> but there's an article by his translator, and he was uh, talking about a, a tour he was on with Thich Nhat Hanh in 1967, when Thich Nhat Hanh was in this country. And he was uh, speaking to different groups and he was trying to just give uh, the Vietnamese people a face to Americans so people would just understand who his people were. And this, long before he ever taught Buddhism or meditation, that what, he didn't really begin teaching meditation until I think the eight, almost the early 80s because he, he had no, that, that was not a connection that was there for him and people weren't, there were not that many people interested in that. So he was here uh, as a peace activist. And because he has always done a lot of research and has a real affinity for Jesus, a lot of his early scholarly work was on Jesus. And so a lot of churches in America were very interested in him and there was a really nice connection with American Christian churches and his his lecture uh, tour. And um, he was at one church, it was a Christian church, I don't know the denomination, in uh, St. Louis, I think. And he was, uh, the translator said that he always just gave this beautiful story about his country and what the countryside was like and what the people were like and the children. And, and usually people just had, he just told beautifully this beautiful storyteller. And so it really made people see, see the country that we were involved in this war with and see the people and what it was, their lives were like. So it often would transform people just in terms of their, uh, their real uh, different attitude about the war. And uh, he was talking, doing this talk about children flying kites in Vietnam in the country and after the talk, a, a man stood up who was furious and really angry and really loud and said, said to him, if you, if you care so much about your people, why aren't you back there helping them and doctoring to them and uh, finding shelter for them and taking care of them there? And the whole audience was, it just went, Thich Nhat Hanh has a very, very soft voice. It's almost impossible to hear him. And um, so this person standing up and shouting was just real shocking in the whole audience. And the translator was so shocked. He said, I even can't remember everything the man said. He was, because his, his loud voice and his red face and his, his real, uh, being really upset was, was so disturbing to him, it kind of blocked it out. 
And Thich Nhat Hanh was silent for a, for a minute or two, and then he said, you know, if you, if you want to nurture a plant, you don't just water the leaves. You have to water the roots or the tree will die. And he said he, he needed to come to other countries and to America to uh, get to the roots. And he knew that, you know, we, we were one of the countries bombing this country. So uh, he, to, to, save his, to save his people, he had to try to get to the roots. So his tree was in danger, but just watering the leaves wasn't going to save it. But then um, after, he, after he said that in the audience, the translator said people were so kind of blown away that this very angry, aggressive comment was, was, had such a gentle answer. And they said it, was, it, was, it made them, most of the people in the audience, even more impressed with Thich Nhat Hanh, Thich Nhat Hanh's ability to be a peacemaker because he didn't respond in anger and he responded with gentleness. But after that question came up, he said something to the moderator and he left the room. And so the translator went out a few minutes later to, to just check on him. And what Thich Nhat Hanh told him was, you know, as soon as the man just kind of verbally attacked him, he said he, he began just to breathe, just to do his practice and to breathe. And he said, but it took him, he had to breathe too deeply and for too long. And so he knew he had to leave the room. So it was his way, I think, of saying he knew the anger had gotten to him. He knew he couldn't, he knew he, he had to work with it. And it took him a little bit longer to work with it than he, than he felt was right for him. And he had, he had worked so much with so much anger all his life, you can just imagine. And, uh, and here this one person was able to just tap right in and go right to, the, right to his core. And I loved, the, I loved him saying he, it took him, he had to breathe too many times and too deeply. And so he had to go and he had to leave the room and take care of himself. You know, he had to deal with it a little bit more. And I think we've had some other conversations about right speech and some other things we've been talking about. And I, when I read that story, I thought, here's a man who had every, every reason to have righteous indignation, right? Righteous anger that we talk about so much. As so, many, so many of us will say, well, if it's righteous anger, it's good anger. And I think if there's anybody who could speak to that, it would be Thich Nhat Hanh. And um, even for him, he knew, when, he knew when there was anger arising in him. He knew he hadn't rooted it out. He knew that he was still capable. He was still capable of being the person that he was being attacked by. You know, he could see, he saw, he knew in that, in that moment when he felt that anger, he knew he was capable of everything that any enemy of his country was capable of. And he was reminded of that, which is not a bad thing to be reminded of. But he also knew he had to step away and take a little bit more time because that's not who he wanted to be. 
He knew that any time you respond in anger, that you just become, you become the anger. You become that thing that you're, that you're working so hard to eliminate in the world. And I just wanted to share that story. And some of you may have experiences with, uh, with, with Thich Nhat Hanh or with, uh, your own, with your own practice that you'd like to share. And he, uh, the other thing that was interesting in the Mario, Thich Nhat Hanh was in, in 1967, he was already in his 40s. You know, he looked like a, he, he still looks so much younger. He's almost nine, I mean, he's in his late 80s now. But he was, so he was not just a kid, you know, just starting out on his, in his practice. Mary? I, I think one of the favorite things I've ever read by Thich Nhat Hanh, I, I said it before, is his um, idea that the rager is the one that's suffering from the rage. So if we can remember Right, that's where the suffering is. We don't have to let it inspire anger in us. Yes. And I, I just learned from my interviews with Dante Sujata and stuff that anger really is not, it's negative, even when it's justified and righteous and everything else. And it can spur on good action. Mm -hmm. But the emotion of anger is not a, it's, it's not a peaceful emotion. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, can we, when I first started practice, if I would have read and heard something like that, I would have been kind of discouraged. You know, you're thinking, oh, here's Thich Nhat Hanh, and you know, he has such an issue trying to deal with, uh, with this too. You know, you, you just think, you have, you, I, I, I had this distorted idea of like what, you know, the monks were like. And, uh, but I think as, as my practice, you know, matured, I guess you call it, uh, uh, you see that as such a positive thing. And, you know, you learn, it's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, uh, and, and even encouraging me to further my practice and keep my practice up and, and, and continue knowing that uh, it really takes a lot of work. Right, it's, it be, it's comforting after a while, right, to realize this, this talking about uprooting, pulling anger out by its roots, that's not just, we don't, can't give lip service to it, it's really a lot of work. And it's and it's work for everyone. It's never it's never easy. I don't think. Uh huh. I'm having a hard time dealing with members of my family who are very conservative Christian, and on my Facebook they're putting out very hateful, almost bigoted um, messages repeatedly. So I'm having a hard time dealing with my feelings about that. Mm -hmm. so the, um, the worry about their venom, their venomous behavior, and what my response is to that. Your, that your, what your emotional <laughs> what response my, is. Yeah, feelings are, especially since they are my family. Especially since they're your family, right? Yes. Okay. yes. That's why it happens. Yes. I mean, we, we go back and forth, and then we say, I love you, I love you, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it's just the um, <clears throat> division between family members. Is that what's troubling, or that they're just putting this stuff out on Facebook? 
it's what I'm feeling, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm just having a hard time dealing with that because yeah. it's, um, because they're family. It's a personal thing. You know, so. These are the people that I grew up with, and sometimes I don't recognize them. Are it's, they teasing you? They're not teasing you. They're not trying to make me personally change my mind. It's just that my sister, especially one of them, I just imagine her being on her computer and picking out all these things to be angry about, you know, <laughs> and just putting them out there to prove her point instead of looking at all sides of it, you know, so. Can you unfriend your family? I, I did. I did briefly unfriend her. That's a temporary It was a temporary thing because that, then I'm like, I unfriended my sister. I'm sure people have a lot of uh, uh, reactions to that. Were you going to say something, Chris? It just kind of struck me that anger is like an itch. It's, it's an unpleasant sensation that brings pleasure when you can stop it. And so that's what's seductive about it, is that it constantly wants you to relieve it. To, there's, a pleasure, there's a pleasure in acting on it, and that's why you have to be so careful of it, and just look at it, and realize that if you scratch an itch, most of the time it just gets worse. But if you just watch it, it will subside, eventually, <laughs> for a while. <laughs> practicing loving kindness towards towards that person with but loving kindness without any judgment right and that's a lot of times you know we get our loving kindness gets confused with if only they would be you know, you know <laughs> my loving kindness is that you change you change you change <laughs> and that's not that's, that's we got that's even and i think that's why when it's family if it was a perfect stranger, you could let it go. You could send them Much loving easily. kindness. Yes, yes. But when it's one of our That's loved ones, we have a real hard I, time. When it's somebody that you knew, I kind of compare it to a person that I knew who had a paranoid schizophrenic brother. And she kept expecting him to get well. She kept expecting him to be the person that she grew up with. You know, so it's like she couldn't accept him as he was. She mm -hmm. kept waiting for him to get well. And that to me was very sad. And I think that's kind of what I'm going through with my family because I remember them as being different people with different ideas and different values. Yeah. You know, so that's... You have to let go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's hard. It's, it just, is. it's hard to let go, but that's what you have to do, isn't it? Let them be. You've got to let your little birds fly. <laughs> a lot of my, a lot of my family, I think of as rednecks. So. <laughs> I've worked on that one over a long, long period of time. So, um, 1980s. Um, I was on a project in San Francisco. Something kept breaking down, so I was just solving a problem, fixing it myself. I had the technician came. 
to fix it, and evidently I wasn't fixing it correctly. So, and this man came at me with so much anger, you could see the veins in his neck, the redness, and it's a, and I was immediately set back, and it's a projection at you. And I stepped back, sort of had an out-of-body experience, so I took one step back, and I don't know why I did this, but I just looked at him and said, you have no power over me. <laughs> similar situation that happened to me like happened to Gary uh, when I was in a band I'll try to make it a brief story but um, the sound man was the husband of the woman in the band who was the leader of the band and her and I had been kind of bickering all night long about silly stuff he was busy drinking beer and getting aggravated that his wife and I were, were bickering so once the the gig was over with he finally had enough yelled something at me came flying over a speaker and this guy was my size only huskier, he's a big guy, uh, came flying over, over a speaker, lunging at me, literally airborne. So I kind of prepared myself and, and stiffened myself up so he would knock me down. And as soon as he made contact and came to a stop, I put my hands on his waist real gently. <laughs> and I said, calm down, Bob. And his face was just in total, I totally disarmed him by the gentleness I had because there was no anger in me I'm holding this grown man by his waist real gently, and he just didn't know what to do with that. It was kind of like Gary's gesture. And, and I realized that I think with, with angry people, I think to respond in, in just a gentle, non-confrontational way, I think is, is sometimes the, the best way to handle someone that, that's angry. If, if, 
If you, you, you disarm them by gentle behavior, just like Thich Nhat Hanh did with mm -hmm. his response to that person. It was totally disarming. Yeah, that's well, and, and there'll be a lot of people who will argue with that too, right? Instead of a loaded weapon with you, just in case. But uh, that's the direction we want to go in, right? The direction we want to go in is to get get away from using violence to solve all of our problems. And it has to start here. <laughs> it has to start <laughs> We saw phenomenals. Crazy, crazy cult. <laughs> is a wonderful thing, right? It kind of cracks everything open. So it's a gift. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> uh, that's anybody? Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to mention, I don't know if you know, but Thich Nhat Hanh is going to be touring in the United States this year. Starting in a couple of months. And he's going to be in Chicago. I can't remember the closest place he's going to be here. But he's going to be in several locations starting a few months from now. He is really quiet, so listen up. <laughs> I'm unable to listen to his uh, podcast because I can't. I can't no, understand it. I can only read it. Yeah. Anybody else ha have a, a question or a comment? Okay. Thank you very much.